The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Pastor John. With us on the program today, we have Brian Wolfmiller. Reverend Brian Wolfmiller is the senior pastor of St. Paul Lutheran in Austin, Texas, and he's also the author of a book entitled, Has American Christianity Failed? Welcome to the program, Brian. Oh, thank you, John. Great, great to be with you. So when we uh, hear the the title of a book like that, I mean, that's just like this hanging curveball right in front of us. Has American Christianity failed? In what way has it, if it has? Yeah, it's a great question. We know Jesus doesn't fail. The church, because Jesus doesn't fail, the church will not fail. Jesus gives us this great promise that the uh, that he he will build his church. I th- in fact, I think there's so much comfort in that word. My, I will build my church. I'm like whoa, we belong to Jesus. I mean, we we sit here and think, <laughs> I'm not sure if Jesus would claim us. <laughs> it's like when the kids get in trouble. I'd say to my wife, "Look what your kids did." But Jesus says, "I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against her." In other words, not even will the church be able to withstand the devil's attacks. But the church will prevail against the kingdom of the devil. So this is a beautiful promise. So that so Jesus doesn't fail, the church doesn't fail. But I do think that when we look at the strains, the theological um, tunes uh, or, or streams that exist in America and American Christianity, that they have failed, and in a specific way. They, they uh, I mean, there's I think there's multiple ways that they've failed, but. I think that American Christianity has failed to deliver the full weight of the condemning law of God, the full weight and burden of our own failures and mistakes and the wrath of God that we deserve. And so I think that American Christianity, as it's been shaped through the years and through the generations, has failed to, uh, to bring the fullness of what the Lord would have us rejoice in in the scriptures. And so um, the book exists to contrast what I understand as American Christianity with, with how the scriptures deliver Jesus to us and his kindness and his open heaven and his promises and his gifts and, and all the goodness that he wants us to have. So the church that Jesus is building is not quite the same as the local congregation on the corner then. Well, big view versus yeah, the small view. That's true. I, that's true. Although I hope that the the church on the corner is part of it. But oh, yeah. we remember that the that um, Jesus uh, would be found in our midst. He he promises, "I'll never leave you or forsake you." He's with us, but he's there in some specific ways. I mean, we know that Jesus is everywhere. He fills heaven earth, but he's he comes to dwell with us in, in his word. He comes to dwell with us also in. In the things that he's instituted, in, in the gift of baptism, and the gift of the Lord's Supper, that's one of the major failings of American Christianity, is that it fails to see Jesus in uh, what in the church we call the sacraments, like baptism and the Lord's Supper. It sees only itself there; it doesn't see it doesn't see Christ there. So, um, so we want to we want to go back to the scriptures and say, well, who 
who is this God and and who are we in relation to him and what is he doing for us? And I think kind of going back to the basics and asking some of those questions reveals some really wonderful truths. Well, you talk about um, uh, our identity and uh, the full weight of the law versus uh, the identity that we have as, as God's forgiven people. And let's let's talk about that a little bit, about what it looks like when uh, Christ's church on earth is working exceptionally well. Well, there's a great line in uh, that Martin Luther gives us. Uh, in in uh, he's he some essays on the basics of the Christian faith, the large catechism, especially I'm thinking about. And this would be in the in the 1500s. He says that God has arranged the church so that in it we daily receive nothing. And I remember I was I was reading this to my elder one time, and they said, "Well, that's not right, Pastor. <laughs> we daily receive." But Luther goes on. He says, "We daily receive nothing but the forgiveness of sins." And so the entire church is arranged by God so that we would know that our sins are forgiven. So that knowledge, I mean, there's a knowledge that first we are sinners. That's the, that's the first thing that we have to know. Because if we're not sinners, then the forgiveness of sins means nothing. Like Jesus says, if you're, if you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. Yeah, everybody's sick, but if you don't know it, you don't know that you need, that you need help. So the first thing is to know that we're sinners. That's what the law does. It reveals the guilt of sin. And then to know that there is a savior of sinners, that there is a rescuer of those who deserve God's anger, and that that savior is Jesus. Christ says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for sinners. Paul says, he, Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, even though I'm the chief of sinners, Christ died for me. Uh, and um, I remember when I was one time, I was, when I was a young man, and I was just thinking about this story this week. I, was, I must have been 19, and I was backpacking around Israel. And uh, my wife, then my girlfriend, Carrie, and I were writing letters back and forth. And I would always put a big Bible verse and on, on the back of the letters. So I don't know, maybe people would see it and be encouraged. And I wrote that verse on the back of the envelope that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, uh, Christ died for me. Christ died for sinners of whom I am the foremost. And Carrie got the envelope and said, oh, what did he do? <laughs> but th this is the truth that the Lord reveals to us, that, that even though we are sinners deserving his anger and wrath, he died for us to forgive our sins. And this is, this is something that we need desperately to hear. Even so, you know, there's a thing that sometimes we, we think in the church, well, you know, it's the unbeliever and the people outside the church that hear that good news. But we Christians need to hear it over and over and over. Uh, we, we need to rejoice in it. So, so many churches in America, they preach Jesus to the unbeliever and they preach Moses to the believer. I remember that in, in my old evangelical days when I was at, in the Southern Baptist Church and going to Calvary Chapel, and this is how it was, you know, the, the unbeliever gets the kindness of God in Christ. But now once you're in, now you got to get serious and you got to follow God's instructions and you got you to keep the law. And here's the 10 plans for being a better whatever. Well, okay. It's true that we should 
show forth the love of God in our lives. But there is not a moment when I don't need the mercy of God. There's not an instant in my life when I don't need the forgiveness of my sins. There's never a time that I can do it by my own strength, by my own efforts. And, and just as Paul says to the Galatians, again with mercy, we continue with mercy, we end with mercy. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And so much of American Christianity, as one author has called it, Christless Christianity, which is, I guess is just eanity, <laughs> is that it, 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 it robs the comfort of the forgiveness of sins and the kindness of God from the Christian. And that's horrible. So that people, uh, many people think, well, okay, Jesus saved me, but now it's up to me to, to make up for it. It's up to me to cover the gap. Uh, it's up to me to pay Jesus back for what he's given as if the gospel was a bribe. Look, look what Jesus has done for you. And now what are you going to do for him? This is the strings attached. No, it's a gift. That's what the grace of God means. So that Christ comes to us all on his own while we're still his enemies. And he scoops us up in his hands and he says, now you are mine. Now you belong to me. Now you are the object of my love and affection. And he carries us all the way along, all the way home rejoicing. And, and this, the central point of Christianity, that God is for us and against us, that the free grace of God is manifest in Christ, and that that's what carries us all the way through this troubled life to the, to the joys of eternal life, that is so often missing from Christian preaching. And to the detriment and enslavement and, and loss of comfort, to the Lord's people, which Jesus so desperately wants us to know and taste that goodness of his. So uh, reading between the lines a little bit, when you talk about a Christless Christianity, it appears that people have either substituted the law or they've substituted an earthly institution, and they're failing to understand the magnitude of the free gift that is uh, forgiveness and, and uh, God's love. So, so what's the, um, what's the solution? There's a, the Lutheran confessions, this is an old book, 1580 was published and, but the last document in there, formula of Concord, 1577, old, old book. It's talking about, there's a little line in there and it says something like, here's my paraphrase. It says, apart from the gospel, men either fall into despair and despondency or are exalted in pride that they either despair like Judas or they boast like the Pharisees. And this is our natural instinct. It's the, what again, Martin Luther to go back to Luther. He, he calls it the little Moses that lives in our heart. But, uh, no, not Moses, the little monk that lives in our heart. So there's a part of every single one of us that wants to be, acceptable to God on our own terms or pleasing to God by our own efforts. We will stand before God on judgment day by our own deeds. We're, we're building a case for our goodness or even probably now more people are found building a case for their own value or their own meaning or whatever. We're, and, it's, and we're addicted to this self-justification. And the result is that we either think that we've done it well enough and we're proud of what we've done. Wow, look at what a good person I am or something like that. 
or we despair and we think there's no hope for me. Look at how bad I am. The only way off of that pendulum of pride and despair is the gospel. And that is the promise that all of our sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ. So the gospel comes and it destroys our pride. It says, you, look, if, if you were good enough to please God, then this whole death on the cross is unnecessary. You deserve God's wrath. When, you, when we see Jesus suffering on the cross, we realize how bad we are because we he's, he's suffering what we deserve. So that humbles us. Then it also then lifts us out of despair. Because at the same moment when the Lord shows us what we deserve, he also shows us what he's given so that we don't get what we deserve. So that the death of Jesus is the punishment from God that should be ours. But the Son of God is taking it in our place so that the Lord can deliver us his, to, to us his kindness and his love. It, that, that when God looks down on us, he smiles. He doesn't, doesn't frown or rage, but he delights in us. He loves us. He even likes us. This is the, the good news of the gospel in Christ. And that is the only way out of this, of this trap of the, of the false doctrine that clings to our sinful flesh. And that, 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 um, absolving, forgiving, cleansing, adopting, covering, freeing, preaching of the blood of Jesus for sinners. So what is American Christianity? If I could pin it down, I think, you know, we want to say it's a certain denomination or church or something like this, but there, the, the history, the theological history of the church in the United States has been a blending of four main ideas. Um, we can identify them as, in theological terms as decisionism, pietism, rational, uh, sorry, uh, mysticism, and enthusiasm. But I, I would summarize it like this. My Christian life starts with me. I make a decision for Christ. I receive Jesus. It's all about the choice. That's the revivalistic uh, um, uh, history of the United States. Comes, It's kind of a it's it's free will theology entering into Calvinism. It's all the big mix of the Second Great Awakening. It starts with me. It continues with me. That's pietism. That's the idea that the most important thing is my growth and works, and I find assurance by my life of self-improvement. The, the third strain is mysticism, and that is that I find um, intimacy with God on the inside. I feel moved by God. I'm, I hear from God inside of me in the still small voice. A lot of American Christianity, the worship is there to move me so that I feel the presence of God on the inside. And enthusiasm is a way of summarizing the whole thing. It doesn't just mean excited. Technically, it means that I'm looking to the word on the inside rather than the word on the outside. So that the realm of theological activity is inside of me rather than outside of me. This leads to American Christianity looking at things like baptism and the Lord's Supper, which have traditionally in the church been understood to at least deliver God's grace to us. They said, no, no, it can't. It's going to be a work because it's outside of me. And so... Um, so those four strains of the theological strains have led to um, a rejection of the external word, and it, it reduces everything to the experience that's happening inside of me. And it's dangerous because while the Lord does work inside of us, he works from the outside in. He brings the confidence of his word to us so that I can know uh, things for sure apart from my feelings. I, our feelings are notoriously... Uh, untrustworthy and variable. And so it's wonderful that the Lord um, gives, he gives us the truth before we know it, before we believe it, before we feel it. 
And so we can rely on that truth and find assurance and confidence on the ex- in the external word before it even becomes the internal word. So the four identifying themes or trends in American Christianity are all based on errors or misunderstandings, and they take our focus off of Christ and his word, the Bible, uh, takes our focus off that and makes it all internal, uh, our own motivations and feelings. So let's, uh, let's draw a line between the errors and the, the mistake and direction of, of some uh, Christian thought, and let's focus it now towards uh, the Lutheran confessions. What, what's different about that direction? Yeah, sure. I, I think that, so my, my own story was I was baptized in the ELCA, or LCA, the Liberal Lutheran Church, progressive side of that Lutheran church, especially during high school and college. While I still had a toe in the Lutheran church, I I was really uh, informed and influenced by the non-denominational movement and the Southern Baptist church. My wife and I met in a campus ministry at the Southern Baptist church. Uh, We were going to Calvary Chapel and involved in uh, the teaching there. That's where I was cutting my theological teeth, uh, having those uh, Bible studies and theological studies over there, and and how that shaped my own heart and my own mind and my own theological thinking was particularly informative because it was about the the surrender of the Christian to God. Have I surrendered? Have I given up? Have I handed over? Have I accepted Jesus completely? And th- the result was. Well, we talked about this pendulum of pride and despair. This was this was the result. I've got hanging around, even in my study here, a bunch of the journals that I had at that time. I would travel around and I'd write down my thoughts. And it's a chronicle of pride and despair and a lack of, of assurance. Uh, we knew something was wrong in that teaching. We knew it wasn't matching up the scripture. My, my then girlfriend, Carrie, and I were figuring this stuff out, but we didn't know where to go. So we went and visited all of the different churches. We were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I, I think we just went to just about every church we could. We'd try to talk to the pastor, get literature, read on what the church taught. And we ended up in a catechism class in a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod congregation. And we thought, well, let's see what this guy has to say. No way are we going to be Lutheran. But the pastor so brilliantly, wonderfully, would answer all of our questions by opening the scriptures. And said to us, look, we need to read the Bible with the simplicity and faith of a six-year-old child. In other words, if the Lord says it, then we believe it. And then we do our best to try to figure out what it means. But we believe what he says. So if Jesus says, this is my body, in, in the Lord's Supper, for example, we say, okay. Okay, I don't quite get it, but all right. Or if he says, be baptized and have your sins washed away, we say, oh, okay. And then we try to understand it later, but we we believe what the scriptures say. We, that's where we find our confidence. And and we found in the, the Lutheran Church, I I think it's so wonderfully described by Saint Paul as the simplicity of Christ, that Jesus is here, blessing, forgiving, uh, delivering, and giving us this confidence in His Word. And it's very simple. It's very clean. It's uh, it embraces the. The history of the church, while not recognizing it as an authority over the scriptures, 
it recognizes the sufficiency of the scriptures, but it also sees how the Lord works in the sacraments. And so people from the Protestant tradition see how the Lutherans seem so old and so sacramental. People from the Catholic tradition see look at the Lutherans so centered on the scripture and the sole authority of the scripture. And and it seems like it's right in between, but it's it's I don't think it's right in between. It's just it's just standing there. The, the Lutheran Church is just like trying to be, anyways, like Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus and saying, Amen to what Jesus says. And the result is the result is a truth that's not just true from the scriptures, but the result is a truth that really delivers comfort. It really delivers consolation and peace and assurance, unlike anything else in any other Christian tradition. So I think that the Lutheran Church, um, I think it interprets the Bible rightly, but the result is not just that, hey, this is right. The result is, hey, this is wonderful. And that's been my experience. And I think it's it's been my experience as a Lutheran pastor, as people tell me, Pastor, I've never, I've never felt more at peace with the thought that God loves me as I have when I learned the catechism and I learned the, the, the Lutheran church and I came into the Lutheran church. And that's, that I think is why I ended up writing the book because I wanted people to know that comfort. I mean, you know, we're so tempted to think, well, you know, I, I hear that God loves me, but he kind of has to, cause he's God. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's really upset about that. No, no, he, truly loves us. He truly delights in us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also together with him also give us all things? And to to know this is true about that what God says of us is true, that we're sinners, that what God says of himself is true, that he is the savior of sinners, to live in this confidence, to die in this confidence. There's nothing more beautiful or wonderful than that. So, Brian, you've uh, told us about the uh, God's promises and how, how God uh, has earned for us our own forgiveness and our salvation. We receive that as a gift, and that's all uh, spelled out in your book, uh, Has American Christianity Failed? Tell our listeners how they can find a copy of your uh, writing. It should be anywhere where books are sold online, at least. Uh, Concordia Publishing House published at cph.org. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, or any of the online booksellers as well. Or you can probably break into my house and steal a couple of extra copies if you want to do that as well. So uh, grab me and I'll sign it for you on, before you leave. Uh, so that's an option. And there's a couple other books too. I just finished writing a book maybe a year and a half ago on Martin Luther's Theology of the Martyrs. That's uh, available. Another one, um, um, A Martyr's Faith in a Faithless World, some others. So you can find all that stuff on the website, which is wolfmuller.co so it's w-o-l-f-m-u-e-l-l-e-r dot c-o i couldn't afford the m uh but that's there and there's a bunch of free books to download also so that'll that'll be fun to check out for people well we'll point people to that uh, website as well and for our listeners i'd encourage you to check out our uh, radio programs website as well, elmhouston.org. And there you can find information about us, ways to donate, ways to mail and uh, ask us questions. Also, uh, past programming is available on that website as well. 
So Brian, once again, thank you for sharing your message with us and pointing others' eyes to Jesus. Join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.